Season 2, a serial podcast about a man they would call Joe Millionaire, a rapist. A story of absolute perversion kneeling at the altar of the god oil, bathed in power, drugs, and slathered in sex. Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. Listener discretion is advised. In ancient times, you would feel as alive in the world as you did today. Stumbling from the orchard, an ancient man and his lover giggling into a cave all but hidden and lost in the shrubbery. Making love in the damp coolness just in the shadows and just out of sight as a dusted clay vessel inside it are withering in ancient scrolls. Ancient to the ancients now. The Oracle of Delphi, a woman high priestess, hair hanging down as she breathes in the strange vapors from the crack in the temple stones. Her head peels back and her eyes look through your guts and she can hear you breathing as her eyes come up to yours. And she dispenses the prophecy to the Ancient of the Ancients. The man and his lover sit near the fountain by the ticket booth. Amazed at the intricate flowers and the animals all made of metal on this massive metal base Set up for this giant and elegant vase thing full of wine and a little water Standing in the wind-blown temple is an honor to the oracle and the gods of the olden days The metal animals and designs on the huge wine pot in the temple seemed like works of magic a sorcery and metal But it was only Glaucus of Chios Invited to every party, and no one ever knew. The Glaucus was only using the Saudrit, we know it today as Sauter, to become the great-great-grandfather of all welders. After his handpick of lovers finally breathing softly slumber, he probably giggled himself to sleep every night the first couple of years, completing a few welds before a threesome at midday lazily grazing from the table of the gods. Welcome to True Crime 49. The zombie girl had been hiding in the trees across from the old welder's home in his compound. Up here where the wealthy and the powerful neighbors speak privately to each other standing out in the open. No one is around and her blue milky eyeballs are desperate as she comes out of the brush. Her breath is labored as she's clearing the wide open flat grass, but now she is hidden again in the decadences of the old welder's ridiculous landscaping. In an eye shot through the glass, she catches him walking by and he melts to a stop and sees her there outside his window in the Sylvestrum. She is trembling in an outcast of the world by now. The old welder, his eyes are old and wise, and before the first soft jelly movements of the eyelid blinking, 
In the darkness of unknowing, the blackness is singed in a band of light from the Ark Welder. As his instincts popped the Ark Flame in his mind, blinded white, and every edge and facet of anything out in the dark is captured in the welder's crackling flash of brilliant light. There he is, walking in, and finding Lisa Moore on the bed with this new girl. And it felt like a dream, and Lisa seemed muted over and obscure now, when his heart had pounded in his chest at the new girl such a short distance away, the world like a werewolf again, as he was slide skating across the floor, his legs tugging through his pants as he was flicking his belt back, quickly, onto the bed. Those first few days he would hurry away at midday, the promise of returning to his duties would suddenly cross his mind just for a moment, when he would awake in the morning to find that her pleasantries were so creative time had slipped away and it had begun like flashes where she would be muted and bland. He'd lost three years inside his own love spell and they had laid naked in the Garden of Eden. He'd bought in her every kind of outfit he could find, but she had been becoming no longer like the nectar, and she was mortal, and she was becoming too old. When he had first sent her away, coming down into the Valley of the Bones, she was 18 years old. It seemed like with every new girl there was always something. Everything would be going great. And he could never figure it out. Why would you wait and hold it in? Eventually they always go and cry after the sex. Nobody was like Bambi was. And when fucking Lisa Moore calls out of the blue caught up in something about a 15-year-old girl for God's sakes, he flew her and her special needs little brother to Seattle on seats shuffled in as employees, and then on to some other unknown location. It hung over his head for a couple years, he remembers the adrenaline rush every time certain phones would ring back then, that at any moment one of his good friends sang that there are indicators that there has been an informal investigation opened on him. But they never did. Plus, what is she to you, out there in the wind? The arc light pops and is gone, his eyes opening on the first blink organic warm hello in his eyes. And then curious, mother hen, tut tut, feathers run to the door, oh my god what happened? Are you all right? There you go. Get her out of sight of the neighbors, and into the parlor maybe. Tea, coffee, pecan sandy. Bambi is laying it out in great detail. It ends up that every time he was bouncing from girl to girl, she was bouncing off of this guy the whole time. Sometimes over here, sometimes over there. It made him jealous a little. All that tender fruit he remembers in his fantasies. This guy had his hand in the dessert trays the whole time, right under his goddamn nose. He reaches over and pats her youthful hand. There, there. Her brilliant blue eyes are wet, and she is wiping up the wet spots with the tissue, and she nods, thanking him for listening. 
She sniffs and continues, describing how this little nut and bolt guy was spending so much money on coke and the girls. Over time, selected dealers would be brought in-house, and the girls at times would also be in turn in-house, as she is describing it casually in the parlor. In his mind, he can smell the whiskey breath on the sons of a few of his good friends and on his own son. Around the large hearth fireplace in the grand room of a hunter's lodge, not for our eyes. The young men, like roosters, so busy in the strut and the posture. When they twist to show the others the fine cut of their vest, the feathers reveal throughout the evening, tucked and concealed, their little notes. And on them is written their insecurities, childish drawings of John Wayne in black and white. Only his eyes are colored, flashing green with envy when they were congratulating that other guy. And others will go from bright copper to blue teal burst patina right before your eyes as he continually sucks air inward somehow. Chest out absurdly, losing track in the bullshit and throwing mud from the throttle on everyone in the conversation as he comes to a crescendo in a bald-faced fucking lie. He would see them hung over, leaning on a log as fog rolls by like cattle up in God's country. And they were worthless as tits on a boar hog. And you will sometimes find the young roosters gathered in twos, chuckling quietly and one nudging the other in his fine vest ribbing. It means that one of them has realized they know something the other one doesn't, an opportunity to take them under his wing. His eyes wild as he hushed whispers speaking of this thing. He's heard them speaking of this place before, the house on the ocean beer, the constant flow of drugs and girls. His good friend's house in Girdwood. Often the father would come up to the valley in Girdwood and open his door and find feathers and stockings and little traces of powders with beak marks smeared on the glass. They had made filthy little nests near the hot tub in the sauna. It should be replaced entirely. But when they tore out the tile in the bathroom, they found a maroon band under the tile in the corner outside the shower on the side with the drain. It was probably just sealer at the joint or something. And when the workers for the plumber told him about the blood in the bathroom under the tile in the corner, he stared off for a minute, then shook his head real quick and went on. The old dweller's eyes were beautiful deep green, as she was describing sitting on the couch with the old man at 300 Oceanview Drive then glowing embers of fire when he saw so clearly the old man in the hideous blue silk robe, scraping the slick stone on the thing, and the girl's eyes are alight with her blood now searching amongst this newfound love. Leading up to her birthday, he would make it linger for a few moments, and she would almost be quivering like a dog to her master every time he would feign to pull out the crack pipe. He would love her eyes upon him continuously entranced, and he was stammering, and he was like a dog blazing with his pink thing out as her birthday approached. He was like an animal, 
when she was ready. Joe Millionaire Bohm and Bambi Tyree had spent time before the arrest living in the Ocean View home, entertaining with drugs and young girls. She went to Bill Allen for help. While Joe Millionaire sat with the two other men, Bambi was not arrested. Since she was a young girl, Bill had always taken care of her, and now, with major charges occurring against her, she would need help as much as she could get without implicating him in anything. When little Bambi was 15, she moved in with her older sister and her pimp. He ran a small escort service, and they would come up with the wildest of plans, and then they would try to do him if they could. The smell of the asphalt and the restaurants and the buzz hum of the California. Her older sister already wearing the girdle dangling off of her, helping Bambi get into her own. And they tug and they push at each other's undergarments and strappings until they stand and behold each other in the mirror. The ripping of tape like mountain climbers ready to ascend the escalators in the airport now, walking up slowly to the TSA screeners. Between the two of the girls, they had 11 pounds of cocaine on them. It was surreal as the law enforcement swept in on them, and they were strewn out like a small animal torn among the many talons. And so she was sent to McLaughlin, and that's when she met Lisa Moore. Bill Allen's eyes flare on the edges as he is listening intently. Lisa was there because she'd ordered a limo for the whole night with her mom's stolen credit card. Even Bill laughed along with her as he remembered a few good times when him and Lisa were dating. His smile faded into thought for a few seconds of warm honey. She also said that you slept with all of her friends. She sparkles her eyes at the old scoundrel. On his notes tucked away it would be written that every time she'd bring a nuckle over, afterward they'd get 600 from Uncle Bill out of sight. Later Lisa Moore would tell the girls, and Bambi even, see, I told you the guy was rich, check this out, he gave us each a hundred dollars. Also coming to mind, he remembered when he was helping his friend finally remodel their place out in Girdwood. Flagged down the owner of the plumbing company, he made small talk and lingered for quite a while in the window of the shiny truck with the big pipe racks on it. Bill seemed to savor the moments with the subcontractor, he seemed to hum with energy while he took the man's hand softly and jerked it firmly and he dragged his thumb on the plumber's palm when they were done shaking. The plumber smiled as he drove off. Minutes later, the dash lights are new and glowing as the truck is driving down the highway. The radio and the darkness all is silent. The plumber's head is wavering back and forth and his eyes are deadpan floating somewhere out there beyond the headlamps. Throughout the course of the conversation, there were moments where she would look up into his eyes and there are tiny gestures that he conceded in telling her, I will help you, in a small nod of the head after what seemed like an eternity of an eye lock for seconds. There's no way in hell that she can stay at his place, in fact, 
his friends, who he will have to go and ask to do him a favor. They don't come crashing through the walls. Help appears silently and invisible. They said at McLaughlin when Bambi Tyree was young that she was the smoothest and the most street smart of all the types they see come in there. They parted ways and she went out through the garage. All the way down the driveway he watched her. Her hair was vibrant and she was 23 years old. The next day she went down and turned herself in with the cops, silently praying every once in a while to the patron saint of the welders. Bambi stayed with Lisa Moore after a stint at McLaughlin Youth Detention Center for trafficking drugs with her then-pimp. Lisa invited her to meet her boyfriend, a much older, wealthy Bill Allen, who paid rent on Lisa's apartment. There are many court documents as well as news articles recounting Bill Allen's sexual relationship with underage girls. Since he has never been prosecuted, the information we present to you is, allegedly, Allegedly, Lisa found Bill with Bambi at his place. Lisa was under the impression that her and Bill had a monogamous relationship and in 1997 broke up with him. The following day, there was an eviction notice on her door, with her electricity and phone cut off. Senator Ted Stevens was having his home remodeled with Bill helping make connections, such as the plumber Mark Tyree, Bambi's own father. Mark and Bill had known each other for several years, with some of the family's vehicles given to them by Bill, who at one point asked if he could date young Bambi. While it seems absolutely absurd to even contemplate your 16-year-old daughter dating a man older than yourself, most of her alternative boyfriends were pimps. Within a year, the old sourdough miner is sentenced to prison. Bambi gets a conspiracy to help give drugs to someone who may or may not. It got knocked down to three and a half years. That's before it gets cut up with parole and good time, probation, early work release, numerous incentives. But in that brief time that she was actually incarcerated, the old guitar man and the glare of the pen lights had caught the reflection of the image of the spirits looking in at him from this world. And they were lusty in their eyes. They know something that he doesn't yet. And he can smell the old bar room. And he is there suddenly in the hours of the day. The sunlight burning through the air of the bar room. The smell of spent cigarette smoke rising from the floor like lacquer. And he can hear a wood stove crackling and coming hot somewhere. They had hobbled him in to the hospital room and he was laying with the tubes and the beeping, and the old guitar man was tired. And his daughter is only locked up for a short while, but he knows now he might not make it through the night. And the names and the scandals with Joe Millionaire and his daughter. There were the other things that they'd mentioned in the investigation. The thoughts were barely building in his mind as the nurse appeared and said like a drunken mirage, what was she saying? That there was another visitor. And the glassy distortion and the bright lights of this world, the shadow took his hand and was familiar. He blinked each eye like a turtle. And he was still in the visions as he was transitioning. In a flash, 
he thought of the Christmas morning, where the plumber's family was lavished in gifts from this man come to be with him these last moments. He is between visions as he sees himself in that big shiny truck that Bill had given him, that sparkle in his eyes and how he would drag his thumb down his palm when he shook his hand that day. And he remembered signing the contract for those fat projects that Bill helped him get for his plumbing business. And his eyes are sparkling down at him now, and he's holding the father's frail hand in both of his hands, standing at his bedside. Mark Tyree's hand is shaking, and he saw the news yesterday. No, please, no, please, he is sobbing. The old weller looks down into Mark Terry's eyes. I'll watch over things for you. His lower jaw was pulled down and hung inward as the signals to the body were flashing dimmer and dimmer. Barely there now. His expression was gaunt, sagginess. Then he would breathe in sharp and weak, his eyes never opening, but a slight gasp of shock and disbelief. The last visions being cut short, mid-scene, a freeze frame, the sight of the old fat man burned behind his eyelids now. The plumber's head is wavering back and forth and his eyes are deadpan floating somewhere out beyond the headlamps. Fading to darkness, just as it goes, he sees a girl's ankles held up like trophies. Looking down, the wind is tinging through the metal grates, looking down the giant metal leg of this oil platform. How many hundred feet above the heavy gray waters of Cook Inlet, the Tecotnu, pulling so hard and steady you can see the bolts running down the inside of the giant metal leg like a woman's stocking. The bolts at the bottom becoming just a thin strand. It looks as if it could be smeared off to the side so far below. Where it meets the crashing waves. The metal is humming in the strain. The wet slippery tuning fork on the metal grates in the footsteps of the oil rickers. Up on stilts above the ocean. The bare light bulb was on and blowing in the wind, rocking above some shitty little man door to a shed house that looks inside as if it was used as a shop, or that it used to be. A large contractor, while in the service of, their young employee caught up with the head honcho, surprised the king of this little metal island. The younger man is encouraging the older man motioning to the shitty little man door with the bare light bulb rocking gently on a wire or something. The younger man puts his arm around the older man, hurting him almost, and leans his head back as if to say, Trust me. The older man looks at the young man as his hand is on the doorknob, under the light bulb blowing in the wind, 
He looks back at the young man. He's raising his eyebrows. And he looks like he is so jealous, almost, of you. That you get to be the one to open that rusty and desolate little door. The older man's heart drumming and bangs as the air in the room is cut and smeared like a parfait birthday cake. And he is wafted in the strands of oil-soaked floors and hydraulic fluid vapors. And as the door is closing, a wisping strand falls across his nose of the deafening stench of cheap splashes of cheap perfume. And he is tugging his legs through his pants and they actually have been still half off. And he was almost instantly baring his teeth at God, with his back then slumped down over the girl. She'd been secreted out here on the oil rig by that brilliant fucking welder kid who works for old numbnuts. He breathed out, and there was a slight blue-tinged vacuum in the bottom of his testicles now. He couldn't imagine how tonight would have been out here, in the blowing drizzle, days ahead and on each side of you in the dead-ass middle of the long shift. And it took him by surprise. He didn't even savor it the first time. And he began to actually clamor about the brilliant young welder kid in the hollow metal stairways. The kid had almost insinuated to him with nods of the eyes that perhaps there's a surprise for him. But the kid disappeared and the afternoon turned dark blue into blackness. And there was an absence of the young welder and the old man noticed he'd made a tiny slick wet smears on the inside of his pants. He was almost certain that he'd seen the nod that there was another one. Maybe laying half naked on the red flannel blanket in the makeshift cave bed in the old mechanic's darkened overflow of the shed house with the light bulb hanging now dead and cold over the door. As the old man, king of the metal island, pouts like a young woman, whose suitor left his collar tossed in the weeds beside the bushes. Then he comes with a treat, and he finds the old man is excited and glee. He's almost in a frenzy as he's nodding, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is racing searching for the electric vapors of the woman and the closing of the door in the darkness because then he knows it's really happening this time. When Numbnuts got a call from the king of the Metal Islands that wherever they'd flown him off to, the head honcho had called out the young man by name. They'd better get his ass back out there now. It's where he belongs, damn it. They bought the plane tickets with the shitty feeling that by the time he touched down out there on the oil rig, that they would forever and instantly be stranded to watch it all and remember on the horizon. Now from the desolate yellow weeds of the shoreline. Bill Allen worked his way up from welder to owner of Alaska's largest companies, Vico, who was instrumental in the Exxon Valdez cleanup efforts. The quick acquisition of the company was not to be questioned. The timing of the start of Vitri Enterprises, later Vico, and the exact job that Bill was paid to perform is not to be looked at too closely. Politically-minded Bill bought one of Anchorage's two newspapers, the Anchorage Times, in 1989. Three short years later, the 76-year-old paper closed its doors for good. 
The detectives had busted the locks on the dingy blackened doors of this dim, obscure storage warehouse. A heavy equipment mechanic's overflow. A dark, quiet place, the massive company he owns now, walls dormant in the industrial. It creates a little kingdom in the darkness. In the realm with no eyes and ears. The light across the darkness had been described of the girl. Paula Roberts. Fifteen years old, she recalls he had stopped on the side of the road and the welder had asked the girl who was getting groceries and walking down the street. This shop is exactly as the little girl had described it. The big forks and the stacks of metal canisters over there. Exactly on the paper diagram the girl had drawn, except one. On the ground where she stated over and over how he'd unlocked the doors with his keys. And in the dim oiled overflow was a camper thing. And he had her laid down on a mattress that was set up as if it was meant to be there. On the ground with the scuff marks of how many gasps in the darkness. It was just a big smear on the warehouse floor, breathing, suffocated concrete where on the paper was written by the girl where he took her and laid on top of her there, and she described it all so clearly to the cops about the RV camper thing. In the darkness, on the concrete, the detectives knew in dolphin mind talk when they looked at each other, that it was as if they were already bound with their mouths taped, and only their eyes looking at each other knowing already this will be their legacy, eyes slipping from earnestness in the futile standing in the silent and in the mocking darkness. Standing on a scuffed and open footprint of an RV camper thing like a chuckling ghost looking crazily into your eyes up and only from upon the child's little paper in your hands. Nobody was like little Paula was. Laying in the hotel room, the old man is pulling up his pants to go, a regular thing, and she would do this one thing. Where she would have stars in her eyes as if she was almost already checking her fine jewel earrings in the mirror along her elegant neck. Asking about taking her to evening parties or on his arm like a lovely tourist. And she would set it up to see if he was succumbing to the poison of a hot little thing giving you all the treasures and he would shoot it down. She was too young, and she'd want to hear him say it. The old goat in the safety of the end of the trails at the top of the world, the old goat would be roused again before going. 62% of the pressure to engage in survival sex comes from boyfriends or husbands. Survival sex is the selling of sex to meet subsistence needs, such as shelter, food, drugs, or money. Given the high rate of physical and emotional abuse, it is likely that many cannot return home. In 1999, 15-year-old Paula was working the corner in Spinard. Her 31-year-old drug trafficking boyfriend dropped her off, and within a month she had met Bill Allen. In 1997, the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce hailed Allen as one of the five most powerful individuals in Alaska. He asked her her age and to see her breast. They had sex, and he gave her $200. She would continue to have sex with Bill from the age of 15 to 17. 
and the two and a half years, Bill would take her to several places that she would be able to identify later to the authorities when asked, along with the description of the interior and of Bill. And one day waiting in the dull hum of the empty sex room, he was in route, and she noticed a small wound on her hand. And when he'd used her already, and it would be expected for the charade of the longing and beautiful girl to be on his arm in the dinner party. And he asked her, laying on his fat stomach the sweat curls on his fine fat and his privileged blotchy skin against her young cheek and across her young face, if she cared about him. And his eyes were starry, waiting assuredly for her eyes to crave him and she turned her head back and looked at him, and said flatly, like a blade slipping through the wallet leather of his flesh, and perfectly under the edge of his liver. No, it was just for the money, of course. Inside she was sneering. When he'd flown her into town, her boyfriend, Jamal, he knew the exact hour and the minute the old fat man would be casting his shadow on her. The smell of the airport still on his pants around his ankles for that blistering first one in the hotel room. He'd asked her about their relationship. Flatly she looked into his eyes and it hurt him. She watched his eyes cower for a moment and he was young again. And in the clenching of butt cheeks, it was worth it somehow to her to hear him frustrated and grunting, pumping grudges. She saw him lose that luster, and he was slipping it in out of routine, her eyes flatly hand laid across the joy she'd stolen away from him. As he was still hunched over her, the motions becoming nonsensical and the folder was printed up and it was in their hands when they hit the wall of something unseen and invisible. It felt like the giant swinging balls of a bull three stories above you swinging in the air. The newspaper didn't say much either. When he went in there like a Roman and finger fucked the head lady one leg splayed up on the fine business clothes becoming a cum rag. In the afternoon on a Wednesday. The investigator and his friend had been up late nights with the 1980s music montage, the tireless agents righting the wrongs. And they had prepared the documents and the charges. They walked across the plane like David, wiping the dry pizza from the leftovers of their hotel shirts. And there was a phone call on the line. The respectable and drab assistant clicked the phone line and the investigator answers and stops his eyes look up slowly. And his partner is just begging for a clue. Their eyes look upward and their guts drop cold when they see the balls are still there but the swing is gone. And this giant bull is staring down onto them as the voice from the highest order listens to them on the phone, savoring each discovery as they learn to shut the fuck up and say thank you, gulping the gag tears in their eyes at him. 
bow curtsy as you're backing out and catch a glimpse of the 15-year-old, defiant and hung up in the debris, rocking in the slap of the waves and the timbers she is scratching the slick metal oil rig leg. The fine strand of bolts pulls back her fingertips and the folder is pulled out into the silty waves of the powerful and listless Takatnu. All the airline receipts with his personal exclusive owner's credit card, pages of receipts. Her and Jamal had sat like accountants and looked over tipped eyeglass frames, grouped the airfare next to the hotel room receipts. The gag tears and the road dust on the faces of the investigators as they are smiling at her and nodding in reassurance. The rest of Paula's life has been a struggle. While Bill Allen's children received $30 million each by the selling of Vico and the middle of his court woes, Paula would battle the streets. She would have a string of abusive relationships after her two and a half years with Bill. In May of 2004, Paula would request a temporary restraining order against Roderick Williams, 15 years her senior. It would be denied despite Roderick having kidnapped and assaulted women previously. Two weeks after the denial, the police responded by another domestic violence call with Paula severely beat. This time, the restraining order was granted. There were clear signs that Paula was trying to escape this relationship filled with abuse, prostitution, and drugs. A year later, Roderick would be implicated in trafficking drugs from Seattle to Alaska with young girls, similar to Paula's history. The Alaska police, meanwhile, gathered evidence requesting records for flights showing Bill Allen pay for 15-year-old Paula's plane ticket from Seattle to Anchorage and questioned many witnesses. Yet, the case against Bill Allen having sex with a minor and trafficking her over state lines was initially postponed and then dismissed in 2009. In 2010, Senator Lisa Murkowski requested the Department of Justice open a thorough investigation, which was denied. In 2016, Alaska Attorney General Craig Richards and Senator Dan Sullivan appealed again to the Department of Justice, Dan Sullivan proclaiming, If you are a perpetrator of these type of crimes, sexual abuse of a minor, human trafficking, the state of Alaska, state officials, federal officials working together are not going to arrest until you are brought to justice. Unfortunately, another denial, this time from the United States Attorney General Loretta Lynch. I have concluded that it would undermine the administration of justice to grant the request, because this case does not meet the standards of the principles of federal prosecution. Although the state of Alaska and state officials have fought valiantly, she knew from the beginning by saying, Guys with money, they can do anything. Find us online at TC49 Podcast. See show notes for more information.